Always tell you, love my Boyer's Coffee. Have it religiously every day. Have it delivered to my house because I'm a K-Cup guy, and it's just easier to get it done that way. You order online at boyerscoffee.com, and voila, within 48 hours, it is right at your door. And they have so many great flavors right now. They always have new flavors going on. Go to boyerscoffee.com and uh, check out those new flavors and have their wonderful product delivered right to your house. As I always say, for the holidays, you can go shopping on there and maybe surprise some people uh, as well with Boyer's Coffee Under the Tree. How about that? Boyer's Coffee Under the Tree. Boyer'sCoffee.com. Get it next time you are in the store or have it delivered as I do to your home. Steel products, steel power tools, they are the best in the business. They're used by amateurs like me and you. They're used by professionals all over the country, all over the world. Go to stihlsteeldealers.com to find the nearest dealer in your area. There are more than 10,000 around the country or stihlsteelusa.com. Take your time and peruse through that website, and uh, you are going to be, as I like to say, blown away, figuratively and literally, by all the different products they have that can help you keep your lawn, keep your plants, keep your forest, if you have one, in wonderful condition. Mowers, blowers, trimmers, chainsaws, and I love battery-powered Products Love their battery-powered products. That's what I have. It's just simple. It's powerful. Um, and all of their products from the battery side, made in America. It's steel, S-T-I-H-L. Hey, give a steel product for Christmas or for Hanukkah. You'll be glad you did. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Coach Prime is headed to Boulder, and former Buffs quarterback Charles Johnson is on the show reacting with Drew. There's not another coach you could have named that would have landed with the same buzz, attention, impact than naming Deion Sanders. I was blown away, Drew. And how about that press conference? There was something there that I saw such a, a comparison to coach Bill McCartney. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman podcast. All you want is an opportunity to win, to compete, to dominate, to be amongst the elite, to be amongst the best. And darn it, I'm going to give you that. Welcome in everybody to show number 179. What a fascinating weekend in Boulder, Colorado. It wasn't even a full weekend. It was about 12 hours. We see Dion arrive. Prime time's going through the Colorado facilities literally in the middle of the night with his family and some other coaches and his son, one of his sons, the next quarterback, as we learned, of the University of Colorado. And then the next day, the next afternoon, after Dion slept for 20 minutes, he had a press conference in Boulder. I went up for it. I have to be honest with you. They could have hired anybody in America, any coach in America, and I wasn't going to go up on a Sunday afternoon. They hired primetime, and I was like, I got to be there. 
I got to I got to see this, and I am so glad I did. I thought I was going. Uh, I, you know what? I, I, it felt like I was going to church. I, I felt like half the time the congregation of about five hundred was going to shout out hallelujah. Uh, he can command a room. He is authentic. He is charismatic. He is, as you'll hear me talk about with Charles Johnson, he wears his faith unabashedly out front. And he moves the meter for people of the previous generation who actually watched him play. And he's one of the few guys who can move the meter and resonate with 16, 17, and 18-year-olds currently. They can go back and look at highlights of any great player. But how many guys that played 30 years ago can be relevant today with young people? Michael Jordan certainly comes to mind. The late Kobe Bryant, if he was with us. And primetime. Coach Prime. It's really it's really a remarkable phenomenon. And Colorado, which is coming off their worst season in the history of their program, 1 and 11, and they were non-competitive in virtually every game. And now they are the talk of college football. They they for for at least 48 hours or at least close to that, certainly 24 hours. But I'd say 48 hours. They actually were a bigger story in college football than the announcement of the four teams that are going to compete in the college football playoff. That's how big Dion is and the story of him coming to Boulder is as well. And I think many of you who are listening in were wondering, okay, is this really going to happen when there were some rumors out there? I mean, is he going to choose Colorado? Colorado's down. Uh, Colorado's been down. He's not from this part of the country. Cincinnati's a great program. Luke Fickle left to Wisconsin. He's going to go there. He's a Floridian. He's from Fort Myers originally. He's going to go to the University of South Florida. And no. And give Rick George, man, tremendous credit. It's always easy to to beat up the AD when uh, he hires coaches. You know, people don't know what an AD does other than At a major university, he hires the football coach and the basketball coach. And I'm not trying to dismiss the other coaches he hires on the men's and women's side. But we know where the money comes from. And for most universities, it's football. And secondarily, it's men's basketball. And so if you get those right, you're looked upon as a great AD. Well, the sell job that Rick George did to get Deion Sanders. And yeah, talked about it. He said, I met my match in, in Rick George. And so, you know, big hats off. Huge credit to Rick George for being able to pull this off. And had the Buffs gone in another direction, either because Dion was not interested or maybe they were not interested in Dion, which we know is not the case, but, and they hired the, the you know, the retread head coach or the hot offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator at some other Power 5 school, or maybe it's not a Power 5 school. Maybe it was a group of five school. I'm sure they would have had a nice press conference. But I can tell you what. I, as I said, wouldn't have gotten off my couch and driven 45 minutes up there. 
there wouldn't have been 500 people in that room. There wouldn't have been all the major boosters. There wouldn't have been all of the former players that showed up because Deion Sanders was taking over the University of Colorado football program. And I think they they have finally, fingers crossed, got this thing right. They had to be bold, and they were bold. Because Rick George went from, you know, the former player route with the strong endorsement of Bill McCartney when you think back to John Embry coming on. And unfortunately, that didn't work out. And then they went with the hot coach candidates like Hawkins and McIntyre. And they thought they had the right man in Mel Tucker. But he left after a year. We know that story because... CU wasn't yet set up to play with the big boys. And before Dion spoke, and I know you've seen the press conference already, Phil DiStefano got up, the chancellor in Boulder, and said, we are changing our transfer credit policy. And it's not going to just affect athletes. It's also going to affect you know students who want to come back who hail from Colorado. And that was met with a standing ovation, quite frankly, in that room of, of high-dollar donors. And then Dion took over the room. Baby, I got to believe that we're coming. You got to feel that energy inside of you that we're coming, don't you? You got to feel it that we're going to be there. You got to feel it when you get in that stadium. You better get in there early because time to kick off consumes. Baby, we're coming. And I mean, he does Dion really well. And it was mesmerizing at times it was a church sermon at times as i said um, i got goosebumps at times i chuckled at times baby we're coming all in all i came away saying if there's one guy in america that that truly quickly could turn this thing around because he can bring talent kids gravitate to him that's what i said earlier He's not of their generation. They didn't really watch him play. None of these 17, 18-year-olds watched him play other than on their phone and the highlights. But he moves the meter with them, like few others out there. And now he's going to go head-to-head with the Nick Sabins, with the Kellys, with the Kirby Smarts of the world. I mean, head-to-head, legitimately. Five-star kids. And I've always said this. You've heard me pontificate on this whenever the subject comes up. There are, you know, quality coaches and there are coaches that are outstanding and there are coaches that are iconic, like the aforementioned Nick Saban. But you got to have talent, man. It's about the Jimmys and Joes. And moving forward in a very quick amount of time. Colorado's going to have better talent than they've had in probably 25 years. That's what Deion Sanders brings. It's crazy. It really is. So I felt like after we had Alfred on the last couple of weeks, Alfred Williams, and we talked about 
many subjects with Alfred, one of them being the possibility of Dion coming. And now we know it's a reality. Uh, I ran into another old friend and a former great buff um, and, and another former, in this case, former member of the media, because on the bigger and better things, uh, Charles Johnson, who will always have a special place um, in our state sports history and specifically in the University of Colorado football history. Uh, for coming off the bench and uh, when Darian Hagan got hurt and, uh, you know, the fifth down in, in, at Missouri and then ultimately his play in the what was known as the national championship game, but the victory over Notre Dame, which provided the opportunity for Colorado to be named co-national champions that year with Georgia Tech in 90s. So I, I thought sitting down with C.J., uh, would be, you know, he'd be the perfect person to reflect on what Dion means to the university going forward. And listen, this hire was not without controversy. And in the first 24 hours of him being the head coach at Colorado, there was additional controversy, at least for some. So we just jumped right in and and, uh, and got after it. And uh, it is, um, it's really been a unique time in Boulder because they were unwatchable on the football field. And now everyone, not just in our state, but anybody who talks about college football, anybody who follows sports, at least for uh, a period of time, was saying, hey, look at what Colorado's done. And Colorado was the biggest story in sports uh, for a couple of days. So let's get into it with uh, the former... Colorado national championship quarterback and a former member of the media and just a terrific guy, Charles Johnson. All right, before we start talking about what you're doing and what's going on in Colorado, I have to ask you, I know it's been 32 years, but how often does someone roll up to you and mention the fifth down still 32 years later? Does this still happen? It actually does, man. And, uh, you know, I think that's a, that there's, it's a testament to a number of different things, not all good, but, uh, I, I still get that question. Uh, it's probably the most frequent question I'm asked when it comes to football, uh, my plan days up at CU. So, yeah, Drew, I, I don't know that. I've given up hope that that would uh, ever go away. It, it, now, how is it phrased? Is it phrased like, can you? did you realize it was fifth down, or is it did you score on fifth down? How do, how do people phrase it usually? All of those. Those are the two dominant questions, right, the way it's phrased. Uh, did you know it was fifth down? Did anyone else know that it was fifth down? And, and and what's insinuated in that question was, did you pull one over on them, CJ? Uh, and then it was, uh, did you did, do you think you scored or did you did you really score? Those are the two questions, almost phrased exactly that way that I'm all, uh, most often asked. And so, how do you respond uh, 32 years later? What's the standard uh, response to both of those questions? Well, on on the first one, uh, no, I didn't, and. Actually, Jay Lewenberg, it's the same thing I've always said. Jay Lewenberg was the only one in the huddle who tried to convince me and, uh, you know, indicate that we couldn't do what the plan was because we didn't have three downs. We only had two downs. Um, but with all the, you know, the frantic nature of the moment, 
uh, you know, one was really listening to Jay. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, and so not till well after the game did it dawn on me that Jay was actually trying to tell, tell me something in the huddle. And, uh, you know, there wasn't time to really consider it. Uh, and on the second one, a bit tongue in cheek, but, uh, I just respond that there was no doubt uh, that we got in. Uh, that I got in and, and scored the touchdown. But the interesting thing, when I'm trying to be a smart butt about it, what I'll say is, uh, yeah, we snapped the ball five times, but if you really look at it, we only attempted to advance it three times because on two of the downs, we killed the clock. So there was no attempt to advance it. So, uh, you know, by that measure, if you look at it that way, Missouri actually owed us a down because we only attempted to score three times, not four. That's a um, a highly intellectual way of looking at things, shall we say? It? Um, but interesting. I I wasn't a, I wasn't a math major, so don't hold me accountable for all of that. You know, it's funny. Um, one of your close friends and, and somebody uh, that just like yourself, I've known for a long time. I had Alfred on uh, the last couple of weeks, and and Alfred said he now I don't, you know you know Al. He said he and Canavis on the sideline were like looking at Coach Simmons going, wait a second, that's fifth down. And Coach Simmons said, listen, when we score, put your helmet on and run into the locker room. <laughs> well, Coach Simmons was smart not to listen to Al and Canavis too because I can attest to you with great assurance assurance that they weren't math majors either. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, I'll go with that. I'm not gonna, I'm, listen, I'm not going to debate you on that one. <laughs> Hey, uh, I want to ask you before we roll into some other topics that are that are rather hot, so to speak, these days. But what are you up to now? Because people used to hear you every day when you were doing radio and, and various other things. But you've always had eclectic interests. So get people caught up as to what you're up to these days. Yeah, I appreciate that question. And um, um, I'm at Ball Corporation. I think one of the great companies in this country, Fortune 500 company that's based right here in Denver, and um, most people are familiar with Ball these days because of uh, uh, our taking over of the naming rights of what used to be the Pepsi Center, now Ball Arena. Uh, and what most folks don't know, again, based right here in Broomfield, Colorado, Ball is um, the world's leading or largest manufacturer of aluminum packaging, and it has one of the nation's leading uh, aerospace company under our brand as well. So. I um I run I'm vice president of our diversity, equity and inclusion function. Uh, and have been in uh at the company, which is a great company again for uh, seven years now. Uh and so yeah, once I left radio I I, I decided to uh to get into the corporate America game and, and uh loving life. Yeah. Do do you miss this side of things at all? I do, you know, particularly times like this when uh the subjects expand beyond you know, what, how many plays or what was the right play to call, you know, some of the run-in-the-mill sports stuff. But the beauty of sports, Drew, and, and you and I have had these conversations over the years, um, the beauty of sports is that it does in many ways mimic life. It, it tells a story, uh, if we care to listen to it or pay attention to it, that goes beyond wins and losses, um, you know, who's up, who's down. And in moments like we are here today, it gives us an opportunity to use the sports platform to talk about things beyond the game, if you will. And that's that's what I miss most, um, probably not as much 
the day-to-day, how many first downs we didn't get versus the opposition and those types of subjects. Yeah, I think that's well put, and and I've said that many times. It's actually, quite frankly, why I'm doing this podcast as opposed to, you know, cranking it out, and God bless those guys for two, three hours, four hours a day on talk radio because, you know, to be honest, and and this is really what you're saying, the vast majority of the time uh, you're repetitive, uh, it's redundant, and you don't really have passion for what you're trying to fill four hours up or three hours or whatever it is. And, and it's hard. It's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. And I have so much uh, respect for the, for the people who do it because it does. Be, and you, you know, look again, yeah, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know what it requires. You know, how do you take an outcome of a game on Sunday, for example, and figure out a way to make a three hour conversation interesting about the same, you know, subject. And the, the people who do it well, it's a real art form that takes an, an incredible amount of skill. Um, and so I have a great deal of respect for it. But as you mentioned, like you, my interests are just a little bit broader than that. And um, I think oftentimes the way we couch and frame these subjects, uh, uh, we miss opportunities to, to grow in different ways using that same Using that platform and those same, you know, issues you know, when we talk about sports, for example, I think the whole phenomenon around um, um, uh, Russell Wilson would be fascinating to talk about beyond how many incomplete passes or or yards he threw for. I think there's a, just some incredible nuggets of of cultural relevance that we miss when we uh, when we kind of restrict the conversation to just that. I'll tell you what, then. I'm going to take you up on that, and I'm going to hit you up on Russ a little bit later on. But we have to get to the topic uh, du jour, and, 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 and not just today, but over several days. And, and it's interesting. You talk about a phenomenon. I mean, University of Colorado went from having probably the worst season in the history of the school, which has to be you know painful for – not only the fan base, but but for people like you that, that bled and, and sweated on that field and, and have given so much to the university and mean so much um, from a football standpoint. I, I'm going to ask you this in two parts. First, when the name Deion Sanders was first floated, you know, a, a couple of weeks back, what was your thought then? Like, is this doable? Is this or is this just, you know, somebody throwing something out there? You know, I, I was. um I'm just an optimistic person by nature, and so, and I will always look at the the University of Colorado with Colorado with great reverence, and so I'm thinking, absolutely, like absolutely, why wouldn't Dion want to uh, come coach the University of Colorado, notwithstanding what you just shared in terms of how down the program has been, uh, and then I began to come to my senses a little bit and thinking, well, if if CU wants Dion. Let me peek around and see who else is looking for him. Who would we have to compete against? I be, I began to be, think that this was possible once I saw, uh, you know, the likes of, and nothing wrong with University of South Florida or Cincinnati, but it wasn't uh, Auburn. It wasn't Nebraska. It wasn't Power Five nut names. And I thought, if we're the one Power Five school that's in this conversation, 
then I think this is a real possibility. And so that's when I began to think that this is, uh, you know, something that could happen. And, and when you heard it was a done deal, what was the reaction then? I, it was, I had a whoa moment through, I mean, I was like, wait a minute, is this real? Um, and so I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, wow, this changes. There's not another coach you could have named to be the head coach, the 28th head coach in the history of this program that would have landed with the same buzz, attention, uh, impact than naming Deion Sanders. So I was, I was, although I had anticipated that might happen, there was nothing like that moment in which I learned that it was official. I was blown away, Drew. Okay, I want to take you now inside that room that was jammed, the Touchdown Club and the Dow Ward Center. It had to be, I don't know, four or 500 people in there uh, and, you know, a handful of media naturally. But most of the people in there, other than former players like yourself and Daniel Graham and, you know, a long list of, of some greats that, that played in Boulder, were some of the high-dollar boosters in that room, and I have to be honest with you, I think I said it to you um, on Sunday afternoon. I was at home watching, I'm still a big New York Giant football fan, it's, you know, it's where I'm from, and they had, they had a big game with Washington. The only person that in the middle of a Sunday afternoon that would have gotten me to Boulder, otherwise I would have read about the press conference or, you know, who knows what, the only person probably out there that would have gotten me as they did to Boulder was Deion Sanders. And I'm not alone, I'm sure, in that grouping. If they had just hired another former head coach or hot offensive or defensive coordinator, would you have gone down? No. No. And I'll just be 100% candid with you. I would not have gone. And, in fact, I I had planned on not going to this one but for the invitation invitation from one of our – uh, newly elected Board of Regent members. Um, and I, I will say this, though. I was blown away. I would have missed something had I not shown up. And I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Um, even though I was presently sort of not necessarily surprised that he took the job, but the reality of, you know, the reality of hearing that he actually accepted was a, a moment for me. I could not have anticipated how actually impactful that press conference was and that moment was had I not been there. I've read accounts of it, and the, the, the news accounts of the press conference does not give justice to, and you, you probably agree with, would agree with me on this, probably does not give justice to the energy and the impact of what was happening in that room. I've heard him, as you have, speak many times, and... He does sermons, and he does Dion really well. And it is authentic. It is who he is. And he's unabashed, as, as everyone knows who's, who've ever heard him, about his faith. And he is supremely confident. And I think, you know, when you flash back to when he was playing, and he was such a marvelous athlete, uh, I, I still say this, he's the fastest guy I've ever seen in football equipment. Uh, but you know, you felt like all right, it was some of this shtick to you know to you know earn some more money off the field type of thing, and, and some of it is.
But as I said, I come back, this is who he is. And again, the the word that keeps coming to mind, CJ, is unabashed. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. And um, there was something there that, and some people think I'm crazy, other people get it. I saw such a, a comparison to Coach Bill McCartney. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You and I chatted yesterday afternoon, and I and I asked you flat out. I said, "This, this is this is Mac 2.0 30 years later, is it not?" It, it really is, and it's you know the obvious comparison lands when we talk about their their fate and their sort of uh, you know almost unfiltered willingness to discuss and put right out front their faith. Um, and then that supreme confidence. Mac had a, uh, I think part of what made some folks around Bill McCartney uncomfortable was that he, he was so sure of himself, in part due to his faith, and I think Deion Sanders the same way, that it made people uncomfortable. I think that, that that's one of the outcomes in some circles that I think could be a challenge for, for prime here in Boulder. That, that that goes with the that comes with the territory, um, but I've never seen someone who could sort of commingle God and gangster all at one, and and be convincing to all audience of, of, of his because he's so authentic. He presents in such an authentic way. He's the same person in every audience, and I've heard him in multiple different audiences. And what I do love and respect about him, similar to Coach Bill McCartney, is that the message never changes. It never changes. He doesn't, you know, edit a message for one audience to the next. It's the same. And whether you like it or not, you have to kind of respect someone who exhibits that kind of, that level of integrity. I appreciate that. You know what's fascinating to me, and I want to get your perspective on this, because you were... Uh, you know, a major college football player, which meant you were a major college recruit, which meant Bill McCartney at one point in time and and, and others, other coaches at, with other programs sat in your living room when you were 17 or 18 years of age and talked to you and, and, and talked to your family about why to come to whatever school it was. Deion Sanders, you and I, you and I are a similar age, so, so we remember him playing. Kids who are 17, 18 right now, yeah, they can grab on their phone quickly and look at highlights and him, you know, high-stepping high into the end zone in the NFL numerous times, that sort of thing. But they didn't watch him play like we did, yet this guy resonates with young people, um, you, you know, like he just stepped off the gridiron last month. <laughs> that's that's an amazing thing. You're, that is amazing. You know, I, I oftentimes speak to speak to kids and uh, you know, in sports circles and, and, and academic circles and corporate circles. And one of the challenges I'm always mindful of is, you know, knowing who I'm speaking to and and trying to figure out exactly how to deliver a message that would resonate resonate, that would be meaningful to them. You're right, Dion has this sort of natural ability to to speak and to do two things at one time, speak directly to in a convincing way to multiple generations. 
that's a tough that's a tough sort of uh uh nut to crack there. He is speaking to kids who are sixteen, seventeen years old and sounds convincing. He's speaking to their parents and oftentimes oftentimes their grandparents and being equally convincing. And I think it's all rooted in one thing, Drew, and that is what everyone gets from Dion, what permeates off of him when he opens his mouth, is authenticity. So the message is almost secondary. It's the feeling that what this guy is selling, he actually believes. And uh this isn't and this isn't in fact a sales job. This is just him, you know, articulating a message to you that you believe he believes, uh and you and, and people respect that. It's not always your position. It's the you know, when people sense that you're a true, authentic person and you truly believe in what you're saying, they'll gravitate to it. And I, again, I think that was a similar attribute that uh that Bill McCartney had as well. I know it's a public university, and you you know you you made a couple of comparisons already to Coach Mack. How much does the faith piece in most homes, certainly not in all, but in most homes, play? And let's be honest, how does it play in you think in most African American homes? I think it is. Um, it probably is number one on the list, Drew, of of things that. That parents, particularly, and I can only speak from my own experience in this regard, my African American led home, um, it is the noise you want to hear. In part because you're stepping out on faith by allowing your kid to go a thousand or two thousand miles away from you to be in a setting that's foreign to them. And what a parent does, me being a parent of two kids who just recently graduated from college, now in grad school, I went through that as well. I just wanted to make sure my babies were going to be okay, and that's a leap of faith. And when you have someone who convinces you that they're rooted in, in the same faith, wow, you can sleep at night. That is huge. can't overstate how important that is. Yeah. And by the way, I, I say this not to embarrass you, and I hope you're okay with this, but uh, I'm sure you, you and your wife are very proud. Uh, they graduated. They're going to be okay because I think they graduated from decent schools, Yale and Columbia. So your kids will be just fine. And, and I tell them both that uh, they had to uh, they had to settle for those schools because they weren't smart enough to get into the University of Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I can see the eye rolls from both your kids uh, you know, from here, right? That's right. Yeah. You, um, I, I want to go to what was two questions that are in some spaces somewhat controversial. And one is, first of all, Dion wasn't the typical path to becoming a head coach is, you know, you're a, you're a GA, you're a position coach, then you rise to coordinator, and then you interview six times, and then you get a head coaching job. Dion has been a head coach for three years at an HBCU school. So he came in and he was, he was the top dog, if you will. And some have said, well, he's selling out because he was changing the, the, the view, if you will, of HBCU schools. And look what he did at Jackson State. And now the first person, you know, the first 
major school to give him an offer, he's out the door. What what say you to that philosophy, if you will? Yeah, and I've heard I've heard that from certain circles. And Drew, it's one of the things that that is most disturbing to me. It it hurts me to hear it, right? Because you know you you sort of just articulated the the traditional path for coaches, right? You you're an assistant coach. Uh, you may even start at a high school level, or you start in quality control or something, and you work your way up, position coach, uh, perhaps a coordinator, and then you'll get um, you get an opportunity to be a head coach. Here's the reality of the matter for black coaches: that's not necessarily true. Um, you know that I have friends that you that are friends of yours as well, who follow that path and are being leapfrogged uh, in terms of getting opportunities. Uh, and so there's no linear path to this. Jeff Saturday went from the the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts went from the uh, television uh, studio to a head coaching job overnight. Um, now, now we're talking about with Dion and the in, in coaching at Jackson State at an HBCU. This gets to what we were talking about earlier, right? The sort of social implications, the real life cultural implications of this thing that we cover called sports. I understand it. I understand it for a community from which I come where opportunities um, and proximity to, uh, you know, to being um, special or recognized or seen, uh, you know, there's such a thirst for that. I think where the, where we sort of get off track is we're so tethered to sort of this, Mindset that celebrity can deliver what is uh, what has been a social um, uh, challenge in terms of opportunity that we we ask the the uh, so we ask or demand out of someone like Dion uh, the most unfair question and we have the most unfair demand. Dion's a football coach. His 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 um, desire to coach doesn't stop at the front gate of Jackson State, uh, like all coaches, right? It's it's what's it's I'm here. I'll do my job. I will deliver what I can as best I can, and then I will seek opportunity as it, as as they present themselves. Dion went from an HBCU um, and did great things to to elevate the visibility of that HBCU. To the University of Colorado, a Power Five university. Not to mention, you know, I, I hate to bring money into it, but that's a reality of it as well. Uh, uh, and and here's another thing: those coaches on that coaching staff, their lives, the ones he brings with them, their lives change as well, and that changes the lives of their families as well. And so, what we demand out of a coach, we're talking about a football coach. Is and we often do that. In my community. I'm, I'm I'm looking inward and talking about me and my community. We often ask the impossible or the unreasonable um, uh, from folks who find themselves sort of ascending through their own profession. Uh, those are things that I think we have to be better at. Um, um, quite frankly, whenever we're talking about a football coach delivering uh, what we should be demanding of society and quite frankly what we should be demanding of ourselves 
I think is misplaced to begin with. So that disturbs me. That's one of those issues. Drew, I hope you invite me back that we can just sort of uh, dive into that and have a deeper conversation about what's that, what that's rooted in, uh, what the issues are, and perhaps what some of the solutions to that uh, that challenge could be. Yeah, and, and I think that to me, and I'm a white guy, obviously, but it's contradictory to say that a certain segment, and this is a truth, we all know this if you look at it with, with clear eyes, has not had the opportunities that white coaches have had. It's been clear. Has it gotten better? It has gotten better. But it's contradictory to say, no, he needs to stay at an HBCU and continue to raise awareness of what historically black colleges do and and hopefully they get more uh, funding and more applications in the general student body as opposed to saying hey he is at his heart a football coach and look at all the good things he can do now where hopefully a couple years from now you point to Colorado and say man look at the turnaround that's taken place under an African-American coach who happens to be a real famous guy prior to that so to me, there's more good that comes out of this, even and not to discard what he did at Jackson State for three years. No, listen, you you are absolutely right. We we are aligned in in that regard, and quite frankly, I think this is an opportunity for Jackson State and for all HBCUs, for all of which I give a I happen to give a damn about. Right, I I, I understand the sentiment. I think oftentimes the energy, uh, and sometimes it gets, it crosses the line to be a bit vitriolic as well, is just misplaced. Uh, you know, the HBCUs deserve better, not better than Prime, but better uh, in terms of the analysis. And, you know, once we focus, as we focus on the right things, then, you know, the challenges that HBCUs face, I think, can begin to, uh, to get better. Yeah, and, and I saw Eddie Robinson's name invoked in a couple of pieces I read. Said, you know, he could have been, you know, the next Eddie Robinson, the 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 late great coach uh, of Grambling. Well, who's to say that Eddie Robinson, in his prime—forgive me for using that word right there—but didn't aspire to maybe be the head coach at LSU or the head coach at Alabama. Uh, which we knew, especially looking at the southern part of the country, seemed highly unlikely. But you don't know inside if Eddie Robinson said, hey, yeah, I'm doing great things at Grambling, but I'd like to test my medal um, at USC or, or one of the larger institutions in the country that had uh, you know, far more dollars to spend uh, on football and, and, and achievement on Saturday afternoons. In fact, that's exactly what the civil rights movement, the era in which Eddie Robinson, the, the late great uh, Eddie Robinson, who, I, who I've had the pleasure of meeting actually at a Bayou Classic game back in 1990, another whole another story I love to share with you one day. But that's what that was all about. So that Deion Sanders' generation would have the option and the opportunity to coach at a University of Colorado if that's what he desired to do. That's what they fought for. That's what Eddie Robinson's message was in its core. It wasn't that, you know, 
this is this is our place. This is the only place we belong. And if we and if we you know move from this, then we're selling out. No, it was so that a young kid who wasn't even born yet, named Deion Sanders, um, could have the opportunity to spread his wings and and uh, you know live out his coaching aspirations uh, without the restriction of. Um, of, uh, you know, being defined by race or class or anything else. That's what if Eddie Robinson would be applauding Dion's ascension or move to a power five university, given the struggles that Eddie himself had, uh, when he was coaching uh, at that time. So yeah, I, I don't, I, again, I think, I think the conversation is all wrong, uh, and a vitriol, albeit small, I think that's coming Dion's way is misplaced. We'll do a part two with CJ because whenever I get together with CJ, uh, it has to be multiple parts because we love talking about various topics. I miss him uh, being a member of the media because he's so bright and he has so many great takes on a number of subjects and they're not run of the mill. They are well thought out and as you heard, uh, always... um, taken from a place that maybe you hadn't got or hadn't thought about. So we're going to do a part two with uh, with CJ. That'll come next week, and uh, I appreciate his time uh, greatly. Uh, before we get on out of here, um, and happy holidays, everybody, as we march through uh, December. Um, we're going to have a, a best of, a couple of best of shows coming up toward the end of the month. I uh, just wanted to uh, throw that out there. But before we get on out of here, if you can skate and have any background in hockey, give Joe Sackett a call. He may need you for, you know, a few weeks. This injury thing with the avalanche is just ridiculous right now. I guess the best news is all of the injured are coming back at some point in time and not and won't be out for, you know, months, it's, it's weeks. But the, the whole thing is absurd. I mean, how beat up they are right now. Crazy. Nathan McKinnon, obviously, the latest. All right, listen, uh, happy shopping. Uh, go Buffs. I know a lot of you are thinking that. Uh, it, it's a special time uh, in Boulder, and it'll be fascinating to watch as uh, as it unfolds. And it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, all the prospects and, and how many guys from the portal uh, end up in Boulder. And I know a lot of you guys uh, and gals are following it on a uh, moment-to-moment basis. We'll do it again uh, with Charles Johnson again next week. Thanks for, uh, for joining us, as always. Oh, quick note, because, again, the Dion thing overshadowed everything in, in college football, including the college football playoff. But it did come down to SC getting beat again by Utah, and the game got lopsided in the second half. So Ohio State, despite getting blown out at home by Michigan, is in, and I think they deserve to be in, the Final Four. So it'll be Georgia against Ohio State, and then the 2-3 matchup is Michigan against TCU, as you know. I can't wait to see it. I think there was some sentiment that you could have a rematch in the semifinals, Ohio State and Michigan, and have TCU drop to four and take on Georgia. I think on paper it looks like it's Georgia and Michigan in the national championship game. But as Lee Corso says, not so fast, my friend. Those two semifinal games may be a whole lot better than many people think. We'll talk more about it down the road. All right. Y'all take care. Stay well. Stay safe. Happy shopping, everybody. We'll talk to you in seven days. Baby, we're coming. 